have, have enjoyed it just as much as I have. As Shelly said, I am a young mom. I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and Joseph is six months old. My oldest, just like Shelly said, started kindergarten this year. And I know those of you who have older children or even grown children are probably about to roll your eyes as I say this, but I feel like I have hit a brand new stage of parenting. The Just the level of what we have to do to prepare for kindergarten, I was not ready for. I was not ready for the cookie dough that we were selling and that I had to keep up with the money and that the paperwork that we would have to do and that she would have homework and the teacher would tell me, we need to have this prepared three weeks down the road. And I'm like, I'm not organized. This is not something that I do well at. And so it's been kind of overwhelming to me. And now I'm not so obtuse to think that this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to deal with as a mother. And um, I know that those of you who have older kids maybe could say the same thing, that when you have young kids, a lot of people say that it's just physically exhausting. And then as you get older, or your old kids get older, that it becomes more emotionally and just mentally taxing. So as I was thinking about all of these things and thinking, okay, how am I going to deal with this when this really gets hard? Because right now it just feels very big. So who do I turn to? my mom. So I talked to her. I called her up and I said, you know, what were some of the hard decisions that you had to make as a mother? And my mom and I are very close. Outside of my husband, she is easily my best friend. So when I asked her this question, I did not think through the fact that I am her daughter. And what she has to say may have something to do with me, which it did. She um, she brought up a time when I was a teenager and I was going through quite a bit of rebellion and And she was just sharing with me how difficult that was for her and how to discipline me and yet keep the lines of communication open so that I just wasn't, you know, hightailing it out of there. She, um, you know, it was interesting, gave me another perspective because as difficult as that time was for her and for me, I can look at now and I turned out okay and God is faithful and he sees us through. Well, I asked her after she shared that with me, I said, well, what do you think your mom would have said. And my grandmother passed away about 10 years ago, and so I was real interested to see what my mom would have said that um, my grandmother would have thought the most difficult decisions she made as a mother. And so my mom began to tell me about a time when she was younger that my grandmother had to come up with how to afford to buy shoes for my mom and for my uncle. See, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and so in his addiction, What he went for was to spend money on alcohol, not on shoes. And again, it gave me perspective. My life is not in turmoil. I know that one day my life might be in turmoil. And as you're sitting here, you may feel like you're right where I am, where things are a little overwhelming, but generally life is good. Or you might be at the place where my grandmother was, where she didn't know how to provide shoes for her kids. But the truth is that in every step of the way, wherever we are, We have to have faith to get through the next step. Jochebed, when faced with unimaginable circumstances, chose to act in faith and trust God. Her relationship with God affected some of the most important relationships she had on earth with her children. Now today, whether you are married or single, whether you have children or you do not have children, this lesson is still for you. Jochebed is a woman that God included in Scripture to encourage us, to challenge us, regardless of the daily roles that we play.
Now, for those of you who do not have children and would so desperately want to, I've known the pains of infertility, and I know that it can be difficult to sit through a lesson that's primarily from the perspective of a mom, but this lesson is still for you. Where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning is in Exodus, so if you want to turn there with me, it's going to be Exodus 2. We're going to do a little bit just to catch us up, but just so you'll be ready. Exodus 2. Exodus is a book in the Bible written by Moses. The word Exodus means departure. The theme of Exodus is deliverance. And although our topic this fall is real women and real relationships, we need to understand part of the historical background of Exodus in order to really get the perspective of Jochebed. As I said, the theme of Exodus is deliverance. The Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. And how did they get there? Let's walk back through scripture to get caught up to this point. Um, Last week, Lynn talked about the covenant that God had made with Abraham. So let's look at our verse sheet and just to be reminded of that, since that is the beginning of the Israel nation. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God told Abraham that he would make a great nation of his descendants. God promised to turn his descendants into a great nation with their own land. This was the beginning of the Israel nation, a covenant with God's people. Last week, our lesson with Rebecca left us with Jacob, her son, who had dishonestly gained his birthright from his brother Esau. And Jacob had gone to Rebekah's family in order to find a wife, as well as to escape from the wrath of Esau, his brother, who wanted to do him harm. Jacob, who God later renames Israel, had 12 sons. And these sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, from whom the nation of Israel grew in population. That was the many the descendants. One of those 12 children was named Joseph. And maybe you're familiar with that story. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. They were very jealous because he was the favored son. So they sold him into slavery to the Egyptians. So Joseph then, of course, went to Egypt. And while he was there through a number of circumstances, he gained a lot of power and prestige. In fact, he became the number two man underneath the king. So Joseph was eventually reunited with his family as they moved to Egypt to escape the great famine. So now we have everybody from the nation of Israel, from the 12 tribes there in Egypt. One of the questions that you discussed in your small groups was to look at some of God's promises. We have so many promises that God has made throughout his Bible, and he keeps every single one of them. We must have faith to believe these promises. And that's what Joseph wants to tell us. If you look on your verse sheet at Genesis 50:24. It's at the very end of Genesis, and this is when he has gathered all of his brothers and their descendants. And he has said, I have to tell you, I'm about to die, and I want to give this to you. Genesis 50:24. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised, an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God promised, and he will surely come to your aid. 
The nation of Israel held on to that promise. They knew the covenant that God had made to Abraham. The fathers passed down to the next generation the hope that they had in God. So now we've got some of the history. Let's set the stage for Jacobed. In Exodus 1, I'm not going to read Exodus 1, but if you want to kind of look through that as I'm going through, it starts off with a list of the 12 sons of Israel. It just lists each one of them. And then we get to verse 6, where Joseph and all of the sons had died, but the Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied. A new king, or a pharaoh, had come into power who did not know of Joseph. He didn't know of his reputation. He didn't know of his connection with the Israelites and what that was. This was probably somewhere between 250, 300 years later. And he was scared. They were so numerous. They were fruitful. They multiplied. And he thought, wow, they're going to get so big that they're going to join our enemies. And if a war breaks out, they're going to come against us. So out of his fear, he made a determination that the best way to keep them from being fruitful and multiply is we'll put them in slavery and we'll make it really harsh slavery. Well, they still were fruitful and they still multiplied. So he had plan B. He decided to gather the Hebrew midwives and to explain to them, okay, now when you were there delivering these babies, if it's a boy, I want you to kill it. If it's a girl, you can let it live. Well, that didn't work because the Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared man. And so the final plan that he had was we find at the very end, chapter 1, the very end, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order. To all his people, every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So now he's involved everybody. If there's a boy that's a Hebrew, you got to throw him into the Nile River. So that that way he figured all bases were covered. Now we get to Jochebed. She is one of those women who had her son's life spared by the courage of the Hebrew midwives. You know, I think we could easily say that in America... Well over half the population has probably never read, from beginning to end, the book of Exodus. Okay? But I think we could also say they probably know some of the story of Moses. It's just a part of our culture. Now, whether they know the biblically accurate version of Moses or if they know the Hollywood version of Moses, that's a different story. Maybe it's the Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments. Or I think it was four, maybe five years ago that Disney came out with um, a movie called The Prince of Egypt. VeggieTales even has a, a story of Moses. And it's just a part of our culture. There's things that people even say that are straight out of the story of Moses. And yet they don't probably know exactly what they're talking about. So I said earlier, I have young kids. And those of you who um, have been in that situation know that when you're going through the mall or the grocery store or wherever, and you find yourself kind of going against the flow and you have your children and you're trying to make sure that you've got everybody there. Well, I was in that situation. Thankfully, I had my big old double stroller. So here I was realizing that there's this mass of people coming towards me and I, in my double stroller, and excuse me, sorry, excuse me, and thankfully, when you have a big stroller, people are kind enough to kind of move out of the way. And this one lady said to me, wow, you could part the Red Sea with that thing. And I thought, huh, you know, maybe she's a biblical scholar. Maybe she really knows the Lord. But most likely, she just knows what that means, that you can part the Red Sea, whether she's actually read the story of Moses or not. It's just a part of our culture. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you've probably heard the stories of the Old Testament and are familiar with them. I love the fact that I grew up hearing 
all about these characters. However, sometimes I wish as an adult that I could look at it with fresh eyes so that I could really get it. This is a real live story. This actually happened. And so this morning, as women, I just ask you, look at it with fresh eyes with me and try to get the perspective. A lot of times we focus on Moses to get the perspective from the woman in this story, from the mother, Jochebed. Here's a woman who knows God. She is waiting for the deliverance of her people from God who has promised to come to their aid. Now, they were in slavery, but things have just gotten worse. The Pharaoh puts forth an edict for all male newborns to be murdered. Jacobet has two other children, Miriam and Aaron, both who were born before the edict. They're older. She can't kill her newborn, but she knows that if the Pharaoh knows, finds out that she's disobeying him, he has the power to kill her and each member of the family. Let's start in our text. Exodus 2, verse 1 and 2. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now what do we know from Jochebed from these verses? She was a Levite woman, and she married a Levite man. We don't even get her name in this passage. In fact, you don't get anybody's name until the very end when we start looking at Moses, and he is named. We find out that Jochebed is, in fact, Jochebed from looking in, over in chapter 6 of Exodus. There's a genealogy, and it lets us know what her name is. So why is it important that Jochebed refers to herself as a Levi? Remember the sons of Jacob? One of those sons, one of the tribes of Israel, was named Levi. Her identity is from the tribe she was from. It shows us how she sees herself. It's her link to the covenant that God made. My family is from the deep south, Mississippi, Tennessee, a little bit of Tennessee, mostly deep Mississippi. And people there really strongly identify themselves with their family name. It is not uncommon to hear, oh, you know, he's a hawks. That's just how they are. Or, oh, she married one of those dancy boys. They're one of, he, she got a good one. And that's just, I grew up hearing that. It's, it was a common thing for me. And that's not so dissimilar here. It's what, where you get your values, even your character, kind of who you are. The promises of God were passed on from generation to generation. Jacob had knew where she came from. Her husband knew where he came from. They were a part of the nation that God called his own. They knew the covenant. They knew the last words of Joseph when he said, God will surely come to your aid. They clung to this promise even more now that they found themselves fearing for their lives. Remember the promises we looked up in our homework this week? I just want to look at one of those again on your verse sheet. Titus 1-2. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God cannot lie. God keeps his promises, even the ones he made ages ago. Jochebed trusted God. She believed God would keep his promise. Jochebed was a woman of faith. On our outline, we're going to look at a couple of different characteristics of who Jochebed was. And the first one is Jochebed was a woman of faith. 
Verse 2 says that she saw that her child was a fine child. Now, this isn't just your average, oh, I have a very pretty baby. Of course, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, I have an ugly baby, let's get rid of him. She just said, this is a fine child. This is a healthy, beautiful child. He deserves to live. Now, some people suggest that the description of fine child was an indicator that God had revealed to her that he had a special purpose for Moses. Maybe not telling her every single step of the way, but just saying, I have plans for this child. He is fine. We don't know if there were other mothers who were in the same situation who were hiding their children. How can you hide a child for three months? I mean, do you, what do you do? Do you pretend that they're a girl? Do you try to keep them quiet? These people were in slavery. It's not like they were dedicated to the fact of being able to hide their children. Were there screams from other houses? Where the soldiers had come and discovered the hidden children in other women's homes? Were there some women who weren't willing to risk their own life and the other children's life? And so they allowed their child to be thrown into the Nile? This was a tough time. But because Jochebed was a woman of faith, she hid her son. Now, how do we know she was a woman of faith? Let's look at Hebrews 11.23 on our verse sheet. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Because she believed that the Lord was her deliverer, she was not afraid. How could you not be afraid She and her family were disobeying the king. They could have all been killed. This isn't like the freedom that we experience now. When we break the law and we go to jail and we have a trial, a fair trial, and then perhaps we get out for good behavior. No, the Pharaoh does not answer to anyone. If he decides that somebody is going to be killed, then somebody is going to be killed. And yet she was not afraid. Her faith in God was bigger than any fear she had of man. So how is your faith? Maybe a better question is, how are your fears? Do you walk by fear? As believers, I think a lot of us are under the misconception that if God truly loved us, there would be no hardships in our life. There wouldn't be any struggles. And some of us live our lives trying to negotiate circumstances so that we won't have any troubles. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make wise choices. I'm not saying when you see trouble in front of you that you walk smack dab into it, unless that's what God's asking you to do. Let's look at what Jesus says about this in John 16, 33 on your verse sheet. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God has overcome the world. But surely God will come to your aid. How did Jacobite hide her son and not live in fear? Because she believed God is who he says he is. Jacobite was a woman of faith. The king was preparing for the death of Moses. And yet God was preparing for the deliverance of his people. In the world's eyes, this was a slaughter. But God had a plan. God was in control. Let's go back in our Bible to verse 3 and 4. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. 
His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Three months came, and she could no longer hide him. Perhaps the crying had gotten too loud. Perhaps the soldiers were coming around more often to check in the houses. In any case, God laid on Jacobet's heart his plan for her son. She had to do something. Her faith must grow and become action. The second thing we see about Jacobet is that she becomes a woman of action. She got a basket woven together from papyrus. Papyrus is a reedy plant that grows along in abundance along the Nile River. It's used for a variety of things. People made clothes, shoes, baskets, of course, out of it. So they also made sails and actually constructed boats out of papyrus. The combination of the papyrus basket and the tar and pitch that she melted and placed along the basket was the equivalent to a waterproof cement, essentially. There was nothing that was going to penetrate that. The Nile River was an unending source of sustenance for the Egyptians. It was a major source of transportation for people and for goods. It allowed the Egyptians to irrigate their crops. It attracted large game so that then men would stand and hunt the large buffalo, perhaps, or whatever was coming to the river for water. It was infested with crocodiles. Not just a few crocodiles, but over and over again infested with crocodiles. Remember, this is the same place where the pharaoh had ordered for the boys to be thrown. So, of course, it was going to mean intimate death. Now, Jochebed was putting her son in the river that had been ordered to be the place of his death. She followed God and, by faith, made an ark of sorts for her son to leave him in the Nile River. Jochebed's faith led her to action. On your verse sheet, you can look at James 2.17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works, is it truly faith? Jacobed knew God. She had faith. But if she had never acted on her faith, would it really be faith at all? You and I can walk around all day long and tell people that we believe in God. We can talk and just share with each other the great faith that we have. But how real is your faith? How do we even know if we have real faith? Well, it's when the real life and our faith collide and you see what happens. That's how you know your faith is. How do you respond? Are you overwhelmed? Are you paralyzed with fear? Are you tossed by whatever circumstances? Or do you act? Even if that acting is waiting. Do we test our faith and take God at his word? Do we act and therefore truly live by faith? Jochebed, a woman of action, because she knew God, she knew his promises. You know, God's word tells us that he is a light unto our path. On your verse sheet, Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. God will lead us. He promises to light our path and to make our paths straight. Many argue that at this point, Jochebed took things into her own hands, and she was the one who wanted to fix the situation. But as you look at the events as we continue to go through, look and see how perfectly God orchestrated each one of these things, something that Jochebed couldn't have come up with on her own. 
Now, not necessarily did God again tell her every single thing that was going to happen and that Moses was going to be the one to deliver the Israel nation. But he did tell her the next step to take. Can you imagine the courage that it took for her to make that basket? To gather the reeds, to weave the basket, each step to prepare what could be the final resting place of her son. To calm her baby as she walked to the river. The final act of courage to place the basket in the water. It must have been just a moment of somber courage and sheer obedience. Each one of those steps was what God was asking of Jochebed to obey him, to trust him. But where's the greatest evidence of Jochebed's faith in each one of these steps? Was it in making the basket? It wasn't even in talking with Miriam and Aaron, praying with them and sharing with them, we're going to trust God with this even if Moses dies. That wasn't what was the greatest evidence of her faith. It wasn't even in placing her infant son in the basket or walking to the river or putting him down in the river on the banks where the crocodiles she knew had to have been close by. The greatest evidence of her faith was when Jochebed took her hands off of the basket. God called Jochebed to trust him. She knew he was trustworthy, but this step required her to act in her faith. Many of us in this room have faith in God. Many of us know Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, as our Deliverer. But is our faith strong enough for us to act in such obedience? Can you take your hands off of the basket? Of course, most likely, we're not going to be in the same situation as Jochebed. We're not going to have to put our child in a basket on the banks of the Nile River and wonder what's going to happen. But what act of faith is God asking of you? Maybe it's our kids that are hurting. Maybe our marriage feels like it's on its last leg. Maybe life just feels so overwhelming to you right now. Life is hard. Sometimes it's harder than others. And we spend so much time and energy trying to avoid the pain and discomfort in our lives. If life is difficult, we want to find some way to fix it, don't we? If we see our friend's marriage in trouble, what do we want to do? We want to fix it. We don't want to watch it dissolve before our eyes. We have a swoop-in mentality. We swoop in and we fix things, or we try to. You know, it's interesting, my husband and I were a part of a marriage ministry, and it's a pretty common um, joke, standing joke at marriage conferences, that as wives, we do not want our husbands to fix things. We want them to listen to us so that we feel heard and understood. We don't want them to try to fix the situation. We want to feel known. But then what are we, as women, so tempted to do just as much? We want to fix things. Whether it's our children that are hurting, even if our husbands, we want to fix them. We want to do something to make it better. It's a tricky balance with our kids especially because we are called to be their advocates. We are called to give them guidance and counsel. But is there something that God wants to teach our children about himself that we are getting in the way of? Is there a truth for their lives that God wants to imprint on their minds that would come through a time of loneliness or even suffering? And we, in our concern, come and wipe away their tears, and then they never have the opportunity to stand on their own in faith in God.
Do we really believe God is who he says he is? Is he trustworthy? Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11 on your verse sheet says, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God will keep his promises, not just to Jochebed, not just to the Jews, not even just to you, but to your children and to those people that you love. Maybe God's doing a life-changing work in their heart and in their life. You know, the hardest times in my life, I would never want to go back and relive. I would never want to do them over again. And yet, I wouldn't trade them because it's made me who I am. It's given me the relationship that I have and the ability to walk in faith with the Lord. Look again at your verse sheet at 2 Corinthians 1, 8b through 10. We are under great pressure. This is Paul speaking. We are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. God's role as deliverer has not stopped in our life. It's not just about delivering us from the slavery of sin. God continues to be our deliverer, even under great pressure. We can have hope because God has overcome. God will deliver us. Jacobed took God at his word, and we can too. Jacobed had to let go of her son for her faith, for Miriam and Aaron's faith, for Moses' faith, and for the deliverance of the Hebrew people. He had grown her faith, and now she had to act. She had to let go of the basket. Let's look back at verse 4 for just a moment. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Miriam stood at a distance to see what was happening. This verse tells us as much about Miriam as it does about Jochebed. Maybe she was just curious and wanted to know what was happening. Maybe it was part of the plan that, that uh, Miriam and Jochebed had come up with as to how to make sure what's going you know, to happen, what are we going to do. We know that Miriam was there, but what we know about Jochebed is she shared all of this with her children. She allowed her children to be a part of what was going on. They saw her faith in action, and they were affected. The third characteristic of Jochebed is that she was a woman of influence. Let's continue to read in Exodus 2, verses 5, starting in 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then her sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother, his Jochebed. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. It's not uncommon for people to have bathed in the river. It was such a dry climate 
that most likely there wasn't enough of a water source for them to be able to have the water capacity to bathe indoors. Now, for the princess, I'm sure that there was a portion of the river that had been sectioned off to protect her from the transportation going up and down the Nile to protect her from the crocodiles. Um, It's interesting when you look at this. This is the woman whose father had made this edict. And God changed her heart. He moved her heart. She knew the edict of death for the Hebrew children. God orchestrated the events. God softened her heart. Look again at how Miriam was a part of this plan. She jumped at the opportunity to go and ask the Pharaoh's daughter if if she could go get one of the Hebrew women. However this was orchestrated out, whether it was something that Miriam did on her own or whether it was something that was part of the plan, God's provision was perfect. Jacob had spent three months trying to hide her son, and now she was exposing him. Any semblance of control that she might have felt when she was hiding him was gone. Not only was she exposing him, she was exposing him right before the Pharaoh's daughter. See, his plan was much greater than growing Jochebed's faith, much greater than allowing Miriam to be a part of trusting God, much greater than whether Moses even lived or died. God's plan was to keep his promise to his people, to deliver them. But as part of this plan... God returned Moses to Jochebed. Why? Well, maybe to reward her for her faith. But I'd say most likely because God wanted the man who would deliver the Hebrew people to be brought up in the admonition of the Lord. See, Moses would not only grow up in the Pharaoh's palace perfectly poised to one day stand against the Egyptian leaders and say, let God's people go. But he also would know the promises that God had made to his people. And who better to teach them this than his own mother, a woman who has already displayed such faith. Jochebed was a woman of influence. Her relationship with God had a huge impact on her children. They saw her faith and her husband's faith. They saw Jochebed's faith in action. Remember the Hebrews verse that we read earlier. And it very clearly mentioned the faith of Moses' parents, both Jochebed and Amram, who is the father of Moses. But in the, in the Exodus passage, only Jochebed is mentioned, and not even by her name. Remember Moses is the one who wrote Exodus? Here he is talking about his mother's faith. The time... He, he spent with his mother, laid the foundation for Moses. Let's read the last verse in, that we're going to look at today. Exodus 2.10. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. The exact time that Jacob had had with Moses, we don't know. It could be anywhere from three to seven years, somewhere between the time when he was done, when he had been weaned and he had grown older. So commentators have differing opinions on that. However you look at it, it was only a few years. What would you do if you just had a few years with your children? Well, Jacob had taught Moses who he was. He was a Jew. He was a part of the Levitical tribe. 
His life had been spared by God. Moses knew who he was. He grew up in the Egyptian courts knowing who he was. And no doubt, he learned the same promise Jacob had clung to. God would deliver the Israelites. Jacob had acted in faith once. And now God was asking her to do it again. Only this time it was for good. She had to give Moses to the princess. She had finished her time with him. From this point forward, there is no record to show that Moses ever had any more contact with his mother. It would be close to 80 years later when Moses would be called by God to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. 80 years later that he would be reunited with his brother and sister. There is no mention of Jochebed. She most likely had died by this point. You know, there's only a handful of verses that tell us about Jochebed. We don't know specifically what she taught Moses for those few years that she had him. But what we know about her three children speaks volumes about the influence that she had on her children. I don't know about you, but I love the movies that after it's over, they go through and they tell you what happened to everybody. It just makes me feel all good and complete, like I understand now exactly what's happened. We get that, because we get to find out what happened to each one of her children and see the influence she had. Miriam, Jacobed's daughter, was an integral part of Moses' life being spared and was intimately involved in God's deliverance in Israel, next week our entire lesson is devoted to Miriam. Aaron, Jochebed's son, who was born before the edict was issued, became the primary speaker for Moses when he was the leader of the nation of Israel. He also became the first priest for the nation of Israel. The Levitical tribe then became the priestly tribe. And Aaron was the first one. He had an intimate relationship with God as the priest and an intimate relationship with God's people. Moses, the infant boy set apart by God to be used to deliver the Hebrew people, grew up in the house of the Pharaoh. He was adopted by the princess and had every privilege of a royal son. However, he knew he was not made for that world. But what would better be that Moses would have to speak up Knowledgeably, because he had been a part of that. He had lived that life. And he was able to then talk to the Pharaoh about freeing the slaves. Moses delivered God's message on several occasions, from let my people go to the Ten Commandments. I think the best way that we have to be able to see who Moses was and the influence that Jacob had had is to turn with me in Hebrews, in your Bible. We looked earlier at Hebrews 11. It's towards the end of your Bible, right before James. If you get to James, you've gone too far. Um, Chapter 11 is an incredible chapter. It is set aside as almost a hall of, not of fame, but of faith. And these are men and women who have been set aside by God to say, these men and women walked in faith. And so we're going to look at verses 24 through 29. And as I'm reading this, See if you can pick out some of the characteristics about Moses that perhaps he learned from his mother. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Okay, at verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. And that was true. He had everything at his disposal. He had wealth. He had power, prestige. But he chose disgrace because that was a part of following God. And why did he do that? Because he looked to the reward. He knew the hope of trusting in God as his deliverer. Verse 27, he didn't fear the king's anger. Jacobit and Amram did not fear the king's edict. Moses persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he believed that God was who he says he was. He knew God's promises and he lived accordingly. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jacobet was a woman of influence. On the first Thursday that we were together here at Women in the Word, you might have had an opportunity in your small groups to talk about who or what influenced your life as a woman. Jacobed's relationship with God influenced her children's life. Her relationship with God was real. It was authentic. It played out in her faith, in her actions. There's so much we can learn about Jacobed and from Jacobed. The example of how she lived her life. But you know what stands out to me above all the other things? Is to pass on faith, we must have faith. How did Jochebed not fear? She knew God was going to be her deliverer. How did Moses maintain this understanding of who he was? Jochebed passed on her faith. A real and vibrant relationship with God will influence the relationships around us. As mothers, it's not just about bringing our kids to church. It's about living out our life of faith in front of them. It's about teaching them God's word and then them growing their own faith. Sometimes allowing them to know pain, not always swooping in and getting in the way of what maybe God has for them. Moses needed to be adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter in order to be in the perfect prime position to be used by God. We don't know what God has for our children, but we do know the foundational truths that they will need whenever they get to that hard place in life. It's our privilege to be the primary ones to teach them those truths. If you look on your verse sheet at Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's our job to teach them God's truth. And we can't do that unless we know God ourselves, just like Jacobed knew God. We strive to be what we want our children to become. As women, God created us to be relational beings. He created us as helpers. We have the joy of living out our faith in relationships with one another. We can encourage each other as women to step out in faith. And how do we do that? How do we turn our faith into real faith that's in action? I have three suggestions for you down at the bottom of your outline. Number one, 
we have to let go of the basket. And how do we let go of that basket? The only way we can do that is number two is to know God intimately. We have to have a relationship with Him. We have to depend on Him. And how can we do that? How can we know Him intimately? Number three, we have to study His promises. We need to believe that God is who He says He is. God is faithful. He keeps His promises. He can handle whatever is precious to us. That's why we hold on to our baskets, right? Because we think we can control the situation better. We are scared to let go and let God be in control. So what is in your basket? What is God asking you today to let go of? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your husband's spiritual leadership. Maybe it's just your own dreams, something that you want to accomplish, your own agenda in life. What is God asking you to trust him with today? He can handle it. We trust in so many things, our abilities, our relationships, our wisdom, our strength, our finances. And those may sustain you for a little while, but ultimately they're going to fail. God will not fail. Let's look at our last verse on our verse sheet. Psalm 27, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Jochebed could not trust in her own understanding. She was living something that did not make sense. She knew the covenant that God had with her people. She knew that God would keep his promises. And she acted in faith. And God used it to influence her children and impact the world. We're studying real women, real relationships. Jochebed was a woman with real struggles. But her real relationship with God impacted her children. And in turn changed who they were and how they related to God. You and I both have struggles, but we also have the opportunity for an authentic relationship with God. And we can live out our active faith in front of and with one another. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are faithful. Please give us the courage to trust you and to let go of our basket. Help us to have an intimate relationship with you and to be reminded of your promises when we are struggling. In Jesus' name, amen.